All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I am your host, Aaron Freeman, and today I am answering your listener questions pertaining to the Falcons' week one loss to the Philadelphia Eagles, as well as their upcoming matchup in week two against the Carolina Panthers. You are locked on Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, guys, I'm Aaron Freeman, uh, founder of FalFans.com and covering the team for many, many years over at that website. You can find me on Twitter at FalFans and, of course, I'm the host of this illustrious Locked on Falcons podcast. Uh, today is our Q&A episode, uh, typically our, our sort of uh, Wednesday show but in, in past years, but today on the Tuesday, given the off week um, from the Thursday night opener against Philadelphia. Still some questions about when we're going to do this episode in the future. Is that going to be our Tuesday show like it is today? Or is that going to be a possible Thursday show or whatever the case may be? I'm more than welcome to your feedback on that specific issue uh, on what you want the schedule to be in the quote unquote normal weeks uh, throughout the rest of the year. Uh, You can provide that feedback as people ask these questions on Facebook, Locked On Falcons is the Facebook page, Twitter as well, at Locked On Falcons there. I'm at Falcfans on Twitter, as I said at the top. You can also email as people did, LockedOnFalcons at mail.com, or you can leave a comment at, lock, at Falcfans.com where the show is posted daily. So without any further ado, let's jump right into this. Uh, our first question comes from Joe Morgan from Facebook. I listened to your rapid reaction on the week one loss and thought you were spot on as a native Jordan and lifetime lifetime Falcon fan. I can say is that after all the miscues, poor execution and questionable play calling, we still had a chance to win. So everyone should take a deep breath and relax. We have a great team and 15 more games to play rant over. Now my question is about week two. What can the Falcons do to stop the Panthers strong rushing attack? Is it a executing our run fits and getting off of blocks B scheming or C a combination of both? Um, I think it's typically A. I think good run defense is discipline, is tackling, knowing your run fits, knowing those sort of things. The issue, the concern is that that has not, those two things, discipline and tackling, have not been necessarily consistent strengths of the Falcons in the Dan Quinn era. So I do think, you know, there may be a certain amount of prayer that will go into this Panthers game. I think, uh, fortunately, the Panthers are dealing with some issues up front due to the injury to Daryl Williams potentially creating not only a potential liability there uh, as far as their pass protection goes, but also may not be as effective a running team as they could be if Williams was in the lineup. So I think that helps the Falcons in a lot of regard, but that is going to be a very pressing concern. We saw in the second half of the Eagles game, the Falcons run defense wasn't quite up to par. And if it's not against Carolina, that's going to be a, a, a really big issue. And we'll talk about that as the week wears on. Our next question comes from Aaron Burke Lumley. Whose loss do you think was worse, the Falcons or the Saints? Um, I it depends. Like you know, what do you? What's worse, being in a position to win a game against a better team or getting blown out by a worse team? I, I think you know the answer to that. So I think it's the Saints' um, loss was worse. I think you know, I I wasn't completely shocked that the Bucks made it a game. I knew going into that game that the Saints had lost three consecutive home openers. And and when the Saints were favored by 10 points, I happily took the Bucks 
to cover in that game and made money off of that game. I was very happy about that. Um, but seeing them beat the Saints, it was very surprising to me. That was very shocking. Their offense came out and looked as good as any offense, you know, basically, uh, you know, if this is heaping too much praise, but it was, it was shades of Kyle Shanahan with some of what the things that they did, uh, in terms of attacking down the field, the Saints, I haven't watched the film of it, but from watching it live, it seemed like the Saints put a lot of stock in their corners being able to hold up on an island against Mike Evans and Deshaun Jackson, and Chris Godwin to a lesser extent, and they did not hold up on an island against those two guys. And, and basically, the Bucks look like the offense that I thought they would look like a year ago when I was like worried about the Bucks, as you guys wrongly worried about the Bucks. So it's funny that you know maybe my fear of the Bucks uh, was a little bit misplaced, and all they had to do was change their offensive coordinator. I know, I know there's certainly going to be no Falcon fans that will take that lesson to heart one bit. Um, next question, three is three questions coming from, oh, I'm sorry, four questions coming from Riley Street. You know Riley always has to send in the uh, long, long uh, questions. Uh, his first one is, other than the one bad missed block by the new fullback on the goal line run, how did the fullback look? Is this concerning or aren't we using our fullback as much anymore? Does it really, is, does, is it not that important? Um, I thought Ricky Ortiz, uh, I find it funny that you said the fullback because you didn't know his name, Riley, (laughs) which was understandable, but um, Ricky Ortiz was okay. I don't think he was consistently hitting his assignments, but look, we've seen worse at that position in the last 12 months, so like, it wasn't as glaring an issue there for me. Um, He hit some, he didn't hit all of them, he needed to hit all of them, he didn't. I still, you know, I like Ricky Ortiz, but... I really do think the Falcons should try to be signing Jay Prosh. I, you know, I don't, I don't get why they don't. I mean, I there's reasons for it, but I, I don't think they're compelling reasons. Uh, Riley's second question is: Since there's has been an ongoing issue for sure going back to last year, I don't really remember the year before. Is the fact that our punt returners let the ball bounce rather than fair catch it when the defense is standing there an issue? of who we're putting out there as a returner, or is it fair to criticize Armstrong for not knocking these guys upside the head for such boneheadedness? I, you know, I don't know how much it is. You know, I always seem to be deflecting heat off of Keith Armstrong on this podcast. Um, just because I, I don't think he can control so as much things as people think he could control. Like, you know, sometimes guys don't feel punts. From my, the numbers I've seen, about two-thirds of punts are fielded. The other third aren't. So the fact that, you know, the Falcons had one less punt than what an average team would have fielded in that game, I don't know if it's a massive, massive issue. I just think sometimes guys don't execute what they're supposed to do. No different than a cornerback getting beat. I don't think you immediately go and blame the defensive backs coach or Marquan Manuel or whoever because Desmond Trufant got beat on a play here or there as it's want to do. Sometimes you lose the ball. Sometimes you're not concentrating. Sometimes various variables affect that. So I don't necessarily think, you know, I, with Eric Weems, it was a specific Weems issue. I don't necessarily know if that's like something that Keith Armstrong is coaching his guys to do. I doubt that. I just think, you know, it's not necessarily, you know, I, I won't even speculate to what he's coaching his guys to do. I just, I don't know if it's that big a deal. Obviously, it could have had a a negative impact on the team. I'm not sitting here saying it's nothing. It's a non-issue, but it's one of those things where I just don't think it 
something that you can necessarily exert control over, similar to you can't necessarily guarantee that your cornerbacks are going to not get beaten coverage or your offensive linemen are always going to make their blocks. It's just an inherent part of the game where sometimes you don't necessarily execute in that regard. Um, I, I, you know, and I understand for a lot of people it's way simpler than trying to block Fletcher Cox or trying to block, you know, Julius Peppers. I get that. But, again, you're not always going to execute it all the time. So, I don't know. Riley's third question. Do you have the number of snaps and targets for Ridley? Didn't seem to even hear him mentioned. Uh, he played 45 snaps, and he had two targets. They ran a couple of plays that could have gone in his direction. Uh, but, you know, with quarterbacks under pressure, they're not always keen on that third wide receiver. They're more locked on the first two guys that they're pretty comfortable with. Again, you know, maybe they could have given Ridley more reps during the preseason, but that's a conversation for another day. Um, one of the things I noticed watching the film was I didn't think Ridley was moving as quickly as he should have been, or is what my perception of his speed and quickness and burst is. I, I think maybe he was a little slow in and out of his breaks. Um, just like he wasn't playing with the sort of urgency that I, I thought he would and, and be that guy that's like, oh, this guy's dangerous. He just kind of like, not to say he was slow, but he was slow relative to how fast I thought he was. And, you know, my guess is that maybe given it's his first game and his lack of experience, he was thinking more. And so he wasn't playing as fast as he possibly could have. So that's my thoughts on it. We'll, we'll see how that develops in the coming weeks. Maybe he's just not as fast as I thought he was. That's a possibility. Uh, you know, I don't think it is, but we'll find out. Uh, Riley's fourth question is, from what I understand, Casey is going to fill in for Neil. I admittedly didn't watch much preseason, but he's not the same position technically. How will this affect our defense? Here's to hoping the answer isn't more zone. Sick of watching us seemingly get torched in zone. Well, Riley, get ready for more zone. Uh, maybe this is something I'll, I'll touch upon later in the week specifically. Uh, we did The Falcons did make some roster moves today, Monday. Um, you know, that could affect these things. And that's maybe a possible thing that we can go deeper in on on Thursday's show. As of right now, I don't have anything specifically lined up for that day. So that may be something that we can touch upon a little bit more in depth there. Before we move on and answer more of you guys' questions, uh, I do have to let you guys know that when you're sitting there, sending in your feedback on the various platforms, asking for that advice, if it happens to be betting advice, I'm just going to sit there and tell you guys to go to my bookie because you got to remember who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. And that's why I always tell people to head over to my bookie. Trust me, guys, they are the best bet that you can make this season. They've been in business for years. They have great reviews online. Their mobile site is very easy to use. I won money betting on the Bucks and the Ravens last week using their mobile site. Uh, lay down some cash, and you also can win big today. They have in-game live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business, and all you fantasy people out there, you can even bet the over or under on how many fantasy points a player will score in each game. Join now, and my bookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Use the promo code Locked On to activate that offer. Visit my bookie online today. That's M Y B O O K I E, and don't forget to use that promo code Locked On when creating your account to claim your bonus. You play, you win, you get paid. Okay, our next question comes from Jim at Jim41288 on Twitter. Do you feel the Falcons have the worst return game in the NFL? Hardy is reluctant to even catch the ball and offers no return threat. Ridley has some threat potential as a kickoff returner, but I doubt we see much more. 
you know, to answer your first question, I don't know. I, I need to watch more other teams. I won't judge based off of one game. Um, but obviously the return situation isn't great. Uh, I like Justin Harding quite a bit as a receiver. I think he's very underrated in that regard. But as a return specialist, I'm not a big fan of him. I just don't think he has the speed or burst that you need at that position. You know, I was texting with somebody during the game um, that he was like, he said, he told me that he looked like, Justin Harding looked like Eric Weems out there. And I was like, he looks like old man Weems. And, you know, old man Weems was okay. Well, at least in my eyes, was acceptable. I know in a lot of people's eyes, it was not acceptable because he had like eight to 10 years of experience returning kicks. So it was like, okay, like he's proven he can do this. I don't know if Hardy deserves another eight to 10 years to, to basically reach the level that I think he's currently at. He's not a young Eric Weems in that regard. So, you know, I don't have a problem with Ridley returning kickoffs. Uh, that to me is a non-issue, but if it was up to me, I would probably put Marvin Hall on punts, especially given that he was active on Thursday. If he's going to be active, let him return kicks or punts, you know? Um, otherwise what's the point? I don't know. But, um, you know, the big knock for me on, on Hardy specifically is when you're a punt returner, you got to make the first guy miss. And he really struggled doing that due to the aforementioned reasons with the issues with speed and burst. He just doesn't accelerate to that top top speed that you need to um, to really be an effective returner. Um, but we'll we'll see what develops. And you know, I say that, and then this upcoming week he'd break one for a forty yard gain. It'll probably be the slowest forty yard punt return that you've ever seen. But uh, you know, he could do it. It's possible. Uh, next question comes from Vienna Falcons with the new addition in the pass rush department. Will the Falcons finally seize the means of production? I had to read it in that way because clearly Vienna thought he was making the most hilarious joke in the history of the world. Please, people, go on Twitter and tell at Vienna Falcons that that was a terrible joke and make let him know how terrible it was. Um, but I do like Stephen Meads. I think he's a good addition. Again, this is something we could talk about in depth later in the week. Uh, he was sort of the outside, you know, outside the bubble in Philadelphia just because of how deep they were uh, with guys like Vinnie Curry and Chris Long last year, this year with guys like Long and Josh Sweat. So, you know, keeping five DNs um, is just hard to do, which they did for a time, which is a testament to Stephen Means. I think he's a very talented player. I think you can make the argument he's better than Vic Beasley, but we'll see if, if he gets the opportunity to prove me wrong, right or wrong on that issue. Um, I, I will say this about Vic. I, I think Vic did better against Lane Johnson than I expected going into the game. He didn't do well against Lane Johnson, but he did better. Like, I just thought he would get, like, one pressure, one hurry. He got one pressure and two hurries. So I was like, okay, that's, you know, two, one or two better than I thought you would do. It's not great, but it's better than I thought you'd do. I, I, I thought you would be lucky to get a hurry. So, you know, maybe Vic is showing strides. We'll we'll see what happens this week, especially since he should get a much, much, much softer matchup going from possibly the best right tackle in the league in Lane Johnson to if Daryl Williams, I don't even know who they're going to replace him with, but if it's Amini Silatalu, that's going to be the worst right tackle in the league, you know, that's not named Ty Sambrello. So we'll see how that works out. Uh, Jeff Bischoff at Bisho Jeff. On Twitter, so not to say your name, Jeff. Uh, when will Matt Ryan start playing like Matty Ice again? Huge fan of his, waiting to see the results on the field uh, match the expectations in my head. I don't know. Uh, typically, historically, Matt Ryan, when he has a poor performance, does bounce back. Uh, 
um, usually the following week. So that's in his favor. Um, being that it's at home in the dome, you probably won't deal with some of the issues that he had to deal with in Philadelphia, uh, given, you know, some of the accuracy and placement issues. And, and maybe some of that had to do with, you know, the field conditions being a little slick out there. Um, but in terms of like him being the consistent MVP player, I think that's a legitimate question that we have to ask ourselves and, you know, possibly, you know, deal with the fact that that may not ever come back. You know, I think, but as we said a number of times over the last two years, that 2016 season was more of an outlier than I think people wanted to believe at the time. And so, you know, Matt Ryan is coming off arguably his third or fourth best season in 2017. So I think if, if, you know, being on par with sort of, or being a, a notch below where he was in 08 or 2012, which is what he arguably was in 2017, I think he, there's every reason to believe that he still should be that guy as of you know, this season. It just may not happen, you know, 16 times a season. It may happen like 12 times a season. And there's four games where it's just like, yeah, this is not great performance for Matt Ryan. That's the hope. We'll find out. We got we still got more to come from you guys with some of your excellent listener questions, but I want to let you guys know about The Athletic, your go-to subscription-based publisher for smarter sports coverage for all you diehard fans. And I know if you listen to Locked on Falcons, you definitely fit that umbrella that The Athletic uh, provides with that coverage that you crave. The Athletic's model is simple, no ads, no pop-ups, no autoplay videos, just instead Subscribe to authentic, in-depth coverage written by journalists who know their teams inside and out. The Athletics coverage goes beyond game recaps and trade speculation to provide smarter analysis and a deeper perspective about teams in the league. Subscribers have access to local and national content with more than 650 to 700 new stories published every week across all sports. Subscribe and be part of the future of sports journalism. Check out The Athletic today and get your Falcons fix with the help from Athletic Atlanta writers Jason Butt and Jeff Schultz. You can get a 40% discount on your annual subscription by heading over to theathletic.com slash locked on Falcons. Again, that's a 40% discount for the first year of your annual subscription at theathletic.com slash locked on Falcons. All right, young Zach asks, do you think the Falcons should feature Marvin Hall more in the red zone or does Ridley offer already offer everything Hall does? I don't really know what Ridley or Hall offer in the red zone. At least, you know, Ridley's main issue is that he's not good in traffic. Hall has such a small stature that, you know, his catch rate isn't good. Um, so, you know, if you're going to feature those guys in the red zone, it's not really going to be on fades and, you know, lobs and back shoulder throws that typically define red zone passing game. You're going to have to find ways to create for those guys to create separation, which you can do with good scheming. I don't necessarily know that's something that Steve Sarkeesian has shown uh, his ability to do at a high level. Um, so, I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that Hall or nor Ridley could be factors in the red zone, but I don't think um, they're guys that you're going to necessarily try to feature in any major way. You know, their best assets really are their speed, um, which is mostly negated in the strict confines of the red zone. So, no, I don't think so, to answer your question. Young Zach's next question is, who is the better red zone back on the team? 
Well, you know, I would if you ask me, I would say Freeman, but I did actually go and look up some of the stats. The numbers do say that Coleman is slightly better. Um, Coleman has scored on a higher percentage of his red zone rushes, scoring on 27% of them um, versus Freeman's 19% of his red zone carries over the past uh, couple of years. However, since 2016, uh, Freeman has carried the ball nearly twice as much as Coleman has with 86 red zone carries to Coleman's 44. Um, what is interesting is Coleman's success rate is slightly better than um, Freeman's on red zone runs, 52% versus 50%. But Freeman is much better on third and fourth downs on sort of those do or die situations where his success rate is 67% uh, on 12 total third and fourth down runs, while Coleman's is 33% on six total runs. What is interesting about that is the last two times that Devontae Freeman has been handed the ball off on the third or fourth down in the red zone and needed to basically score a touchdown or, or get a first down, uh, he has failed. That came against, obviously, the Eagles in week one and against the Saints in what week 16 or whatever that was last year. But prior to that, he was four for four. And it's, it was fascinating because Freeman's third down uh, run efficiency until like after he got hurt last season was like extremely good. Um, and so like, that's one of the reasons why I think Freeman is probably the better option, but the numbers do suggest that Coleman does particularly well in the red zone. Now, again, that's not necessarily saying, you know, being like inside the five, but just counting all the runs inside the 20. So, you know, that's worth considering, but it's close enough that there isn't a huge, huge difference. At least when you look at success rate, it's a two percentage points. It seems like Coleman's better on first and second down, but on those sort of third and fourth downs, Freeman has a much higher percentage than Coleman does. Our final questions come from Andy at Mave2124. Sent this in via email at lockedonfalcons at mail.com. His first question is this. Uh, in your review of the All-22, does it seem that Sark has a plan for the off- offense, or is it just random plays called where the wide receivers, running backs, and tight ends are expect to beat the coverage and get open? I ask because the better offensive minds usually described are setting up, setting defenses up, tricking defenses, and scheming players open. I think that was the main issue last year. I don't think that was as big an issue in week one against Philadelphia as it was in, obviously, the previous 18 games that we had gotten of the Sark. Uh, so I think he made positive strides in that regard. I think the issue is that's basically what happened on those three of those four last plays that we talked about on yesterday's show with Matt in the red zone at the very end of the game. Basically, he ran literally the most vanilla route combinations that you could possibly call in that situation. Um, so it, it's one of those things where... Um, that's sort of the the problem with Sark. Like he makes strides, but then when push comes to shove, that sort of super extra vanilla, it's not even vanilla, it's just plain milk type of offense rears its ugly head. And and that's where the frustration comes. And, and that's one of the reasons why you, like I want to be like, yeah, Sark is doing better. He's making strides. But then he, he you know, Every step he makes, he takes two steps backward. That's ultimately the issue with Sark. Um, Andy's second question is, Matt Ryan didn't play well, but it seemed as the game went on, the O-line didn't play well either. Do you think this was simply that the Eagles were a bad matchup for our O-line and expect better play against the Panthers? Um, Yes, the Eagles were a very difficult matchup. Um, 
which we pointed out, I think, on Thursday's show, where that was going to be the toughest D-line that they faced this season. Um, you know, that's why I thought when people were talking about, like, oh, this time we have Levitri and Fusco instead of Garland and Schweitzer, that's going to be the difference in this game. I was like, it's not really. It's, it's going to, you know, there's going to be improvement from, you know, because Levitri and Fusco are better than Garland and Schweitzer, but it's not as if Levitri and Fusco can suddenly now make, you know, Fletcher Cox not dominate this game and not Fletcher Cox not be the second best D tackle in the entire league. So it's one of those things where I felt like that whole notion was overrated. Carolina is going to be an easier matchup for the Falcons than Philadelphia was, but don't mistake that as being an easy matchup. Um, Addison regularly wrecks Jake Matthews whenever they've played each other over the last four years. Short 100% is going to wreck Andy Levitri as he has done over the last three years. You, you now add Don Terry Poe to the mix, who's an upgrade over Star Latulale. Vernon Butler is also looking, you know, like he's coming on nicely. And so he's going to be facing Fusco quite a bit, as well as Mac. Julius Peppers is certainly not the player that he was in his prime, but he can still give quality offensive tackles problems and fits. And Schrader is coming off possibly the worst game of his career that I, I can certainly think of. I think the last time he had a performance this poorly was the season finale against the um, Panthers in 2014 where Greg Hardy and Charles Johnson absolutely destroyed him um, or Greg Hardy destroyed Jake Matthews and, and Charles Johnson destroyed um, Schrader and so he, Schrader's performance against Philadelphia is so bad that it makes me think that there's maybe some other issues at play that we don't necessarily know about possibly an injury that he's dealing with that makes me believe that it's possible that it, is, it wasn't just one random bad performance against quality opponent, um, like Michael Bennett, like a Brandon Graham, etc. But just simply like, oh, this might linger into week two. So, I like I, I'm not overly confident that we're going to suddenly see the Falcons' offensive line have a great performance. They sort of the Panthers were able to get effective pressure on Matt Ryan in that Week 17 game. And I expect them to do so again this time. So the question is going to be going back to what Sark is going to do to compensate for that. I thought he did a good job given that Garland was in that game. And they basically just threw, dinked and dunked their way in that game to basically get rid of the ball quickly so that Matt Ryan wouldn't be under constant duress. I don't know if that strategy is going to work quite as well this time around. But we'll we'll have to see. So we'll find out. Andy's last question is, did you see anything on film, special teams-wise, that caused any concern? No, not really, but that's also because I, you know, I'm no more concerned about the Falcons special teams today than I have been over the last two years. Um, I did see, the, you know, the Eagles almost blocked a punt in a game, and it was over ball getting beat up the middle, um, and basically, I think, I can't remember who it was, but he was like, DJ Alexander, I think it was who was like half a step away from blocking the punt, or half a second or whatever you want to call it. Um, and look, I'll be honest, I said this on the podcast last year. To me, it was amazing to me that the Falcons didn't have a block punt last year. Like the fact, To me, they're just on borrowed time. Eventually, someone's going to block a punt against this team. So so from my perspective, that that is a concern for most of you, but that's a concern I had last year. So like it's, it's, nothing has changed. My hope is that with the additions of guys like Jordan Richards and and Corey Nelson and Keith Tandy, among other guys that the Falcons made uh, this offseason, that the special teams will be better. Um, didn't really see anything in this 
first game that really sort of leads me to believe, you know, that is imminent. But, you know, again, it's one game. It's one, you know, you can't necessarily judge an entire season off of one game, which is something that we have to remind ourselves. As um, Joe spoke to us at the top of the show. So, yeah, I mean, we'll find out. Um, if I missed your question, guys, I feel like there was another question that I, I, I saw that I just missed. So I apologize. But if I missed your question, you still have time to get in. We, we can possibly answer those on Thursday's show. So uh, send those questions in. Again, Twitter at Falcfans or Locked on Falcons. Facebook, Locked on Falcons. Email is Locked on Falcons at mail.com. And of course, you can leave a comment at Falcfans.com as well. So uh, there you have it, guys. Tomorrow we'll be back with our crossover episode with the host of Locked on Panthers, Bill Rossetti. We'll talk about some of the topics we talked about in this episode, including the Panthers' defensive line and their running game on that episode. And then later in the week, we can sort of pivot it back towards the Falcons and talk about some of the changes and as well as, you know, any additional information, uh, you know, hopefully we get an update that Deion Jones injury issue is not going to linger into the game, but it seems like there are questions about that. So I'm feeling a little nauseous at the time because besides Keanu Neal, um, I don't know. Deion Jones is arguably the player that they could afford to lose the least him and Grady Jarrett sort of form the three-headed monster that sort of is the backbone of the Falcons defense. And if you're down two of those guys, that's going to be a problem. Um, So hopefully we get some good news by the time we get Thursday. So hopefully. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.